Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Thomas, are you there? Hi, Leticia. How are you today? Hey, all right. How are you? Well, I'm excited. Got my phone back, so you know. So I'm Why? Well, I, I know you had told me that that what it got lost in the toilet or something. <laughs> no, didn't have no minutes, but you know. Oh, I I getcha. I getcha. Yeah, that's that pretty. That sucks a lot. And um, our third co-host, Melissa, is still on her vacay 
from the show. I we wish her all the best because she is busier than I am, and people say that I'm really busy. Really, I don't. You know, yes, between naps, I am really busy. Yep. <laughs> between naps. Uh, so, so Leticia. Um, yeah, Thomas. Didn't you get some exciting news or something like earlier in the week? Oh, yes. Uh, if you're talking about uh, the the internship, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute uh, that I have. It's it's exciting. Uh, it's it's more work and it's a lot of work. So I, I'm not really excited. Uh, about the sleepy-eyed work that I do, but it's exciting to be involved in it. Um, for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, I am, you can meet me, Letitia Wong. Woohoo! Let me show off my, my shirt. Woohoo! Woohoo! Um, I just got an internship with Kevin Jackson at the BlackSphere.net and the BlackSphere radio show um, as a show producer and as a writer for his blog. And that includes both the Black Sphere radio, uh, Black Sphere blog, as well as the Unhyphenated America blog. And, I'm sorry, let me get that right. Unhyphenated American blog. And I, it's exciting to me um, in one way that I get to be among a team of fabulous, talented writers all with the same purpose of trying to enlighten Americans and enlighten our fellow human beings and to think independently and think logically and really live out principles that have been life-changing for the, for the better. Founding principles of our right. country that were life-changing when they were established and, you know, to beat back the illogic and the nonsensical nature of regressivism in this country, uh, both on a racial level as well as economic and 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 so forth. So that aspect right. is very exciting to me. Um, I'm humbled, and I, I don't. I know it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, and I hate doing that. You know, anybody that knows me is like, I never toot my own horn. That's why I probably was not going to mention it unless you brought it up first, uh, because you know I, I'm just. Starting out there, I'm a low person on the totem pole. Not that there is a totem pole, but I like to downplay my contribution because, um, you know, a little confession may be a good thing. I hate uh, building myself up and then making a mistake and being completely embarrassed by it. So, you know, if I say a little less, maybe people won't notice all the crap that I can do. <laughs> right. Well, but you that's know what, the human Leticia, aspect of it. You know what? Sometimes we have to kick the door of opportunity open, and and we'll be talking about this at a later date, but that's, that's kind of where I'm going, not because I want you and you know my heart, you know, through the through our ups and downs, our trials and tribulations, you know my heart and you know that I've always sought things because I care about people, not because I want the rec I want any type of recognition. But here's here's where I'm at. There are other 
black, Hispanic, Asian conservative voices across the board, and the new blood, if you will, needs to needs to now join the fight. You know, and and what you're doing, that that's just one aspect of really coming out of just coming out of the hidden woodwork. Because I'm gonna tell you something, Letitia, and it's like with True Life Fridays Radio, we are we are spiritual and natural weapons that have really yet to be fully tapped. Because when the stuff hits the fan, there's gonna be those of us, myself, you, Melissa, many others, the Kevin Jacksons, all those individuals of the world who are going to stand on the forefront and not only be willing to fight with our words, but also, if need be, willing to fight with our intellect and if God calls us to arms with arms. So that's what this is about. And, and, you know, and having said that, I'm really, really proud of you because I, I knew you. I knew you could always do it. I knew you had it in you. That's why, honestly, I had had no problem deferring to you and handling the show because you're good at it. Oh, and that's I'm sweet. not saying this to just, like, puff you up, but you really are. You do the things that I would get frustrated at doing, the researching and all that stuff. And, and and I'm proud of you because that's your that's your thing, your events together. You're a natural leader, but you're an even better friend and person. And I'm and I'm proud to say that we are um, joined um, in this endeavor. So, having oh, said that, let's get this no, show I'm, started. I'm taking everybody <laughs> so, with me. <laughs> I like to say that. Um, no, True Life Fridays has been a really, uh, it's going to still go on. So if you're wondering what's going to happen to True Life Fridays, absolutely nothing different. We're still going to be here every Friday and we're still going to be broadcasting and we're still going to have our awesome guests to share their stories. And we're still going to have me and Thomas and Melissa when she can make it, um, to be a team because, this is we like Thomas, like you said, we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the truth. And right. more than anything, people need to know the truth. And right. so, you know, I'm not going, I'm not leaving to go anywhere. I'm taking y'all with me, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, because whatever we talk about, wherever I go, um, they're going to be those same principles across right. the board. Affirming life and affirming liberty. Right. Um, Right. So, well, (laughs) thanks. Thanks for that pat on the back, Thomas. That's very touching. I appreciate it. Um, But please, do us the honors of uh, sharing with our audience exactly why the show exists. Exactly. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. 
Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I'm thankful in the name of Jesus for True Life Fridays Radio and my phenomenal team of hosts, um, co-hosts, myself, Letitia, who's the heart and soul of this show, Lord God, her and Melissa. Father, we thank you that you have given us two strong years, and now that you are transitioning us to higher levels, you know, in what you've called us to do, Father. Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are preparing us for the different higher levels of, and higher devils who are basically who are flaunting the issues of pro-death agenda, Lord God. I thank you for our guests. I thank you for the listeners that tune in each and every week, Lord God, faithfully, even if it's just one or two, Father. I thank you for those listeners. And we just ask you to continue to breathe through this show that we might be able to speak truth to power and bring awareness to the issues that we speak about. We say we love you and we bless you. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. And I'm so glad that you had mentioned earlier that uh, we are talking about issues and giving voice to the voiceless because that's a perfect segue to what we're talking about today. Um, We give voice to the voiceless, the voiceless that are yet unborn, which is predominantly um, who we talk about on this program because it is a big legal issue, and also to the voiceless that don't seem to get enough media attention even though millions are dying. Or at least thousands at a time. And what I'm talking about is this article that I picked up this morning that really just sunk my heart. And it isn't anything new that I haven't read before. But today especially, because it's like one of those things, uh, the needle, I mean, not the needle in the haystack, the straw that breaks the camel's back, where the silence has to be broken. The voice of the voiceless has to come through um, because I've had enough. And all of us should. And I'm talking about um, the the situation in the Middle East where in Iraq and several weeks ago, last month, it was reported that the – the Islamic group that is now named ISIS um, that is trying to bring about an Islamic state in the country of Iraq um, completely took over one of the cities, one of the uh, Iraq's major cities that the U.S. had previously uh, cleaned out of insurgents and cleaned out of terrorists. Uh, they took it back again. They con- reconquered it. Oh, gee, there's no theme for you. They conquered it, and they began to persecute the Christians that are in there. And I'm talking about the city of Mosul. Right. And what they started doing is, <clears throat> excuse me, 
spray painting a, a certain mark on the homes of known Christians in their communities uh, and targeting them for persecution. And that symbol, and I've had people asking about it on my Facebook all day, all week, for several days now, since I've changed my profile picture to that, is it looks like, um, it looks like, if it's a spray painted version, it looks like a happy face with only one eye, <laughs> but it's not a happy face. It's the Arabic symbol for the letter N, which stands for the symbol for Christians. It's N for Nazarene, which points to Christians. And it's not much different if we want to go back about 60 years. It's not much different then this practice is not much different than the the Nazi Germans making Jews wear the Star of David on their coats. They were marking Jews for persecution. And what's happening in Mosul right now is the, the Islamic extremists, the, the ISIS terrorists, are marking Christians for pers- persecution. So what's happening is when a house has been marked, uh, the Christians are given an ultimatum. You either pay the the I'm conquered protection money tax called the jizya, which is a part of Sharia law, uh, or you can leave and and abandon your home and all your property, or you can convert to Islam, or you can die. I mean, those are your those are your options. Sounds like a lot, right? <laughs> Not very good options. But these are age-old options that have come down to Christians and Jews, for the most part, whenever they have encountered uh, Islamic extremists or radicals, Islamic radicals. And in Mosul in particular, they have been very harsh on Christians. They, the news is that they just... Uh, a few days ago, burned down a church that has existed from the time before Islam was ever established. It's an 1,800-year-old church, Christian church. And that got a little bit of media attention. And the beef that I have with this story is that the Obama administration, the mainstream media, which is most of your cable networks, and your newspapers, and your, even your online, um, your online magazines and news, news sources have not covered this so much. Yeah, they, might, they covered the issue of the church burning a little bit. But by and large, this mass exodus of Christians in Mosul, because many of them have been driven out of the city. There are reports saying that there are no Christians, no Christians left in that city at all. You know, for the first time in almost, almost 2,000 years, we're, you know, getting close to 2,000 years, there have been no Christians uh, in that city. And, and that city predates the advent of Islam by about 800 years. So let me play you a clip of the news story that I'm hoping that everybody will pay attention to. Um, This is particularly important because 
the person that is uh, giving in the interview for the news story says something very interesting, very provocative. Please pay attention, and we're going to talk about it. Christians in Iraq are living in fear as ISIS takes over territory with the threat of slaughter. The radical jihadist group took over Mosul last month. Saturday, militants bombed and burned Christian property and several churches in Mosul, including this 1,800-year-old church. Christianity, as we know it, is over in Mosul. Mark Arabo, a local Chaldean spokesperson, says there are now no Christians in Mosul after ISIS sent letters to Christians with a deadline to convert to Islam, pay a religious tax, or die. ISIS is moving at lightning speed. It's unclear if any Christians stayed in Mosul after the deadline, but Arabo warns ISIS won't stop there. ISIS has been very clear that they're going to march city to city, region to region, and they know no boundaries. Iraq was home to about a million Christians a decade ago. Their numbers are quickly dwindling to around 450,000 right now, and ISIS wants to wipe them out. Nobody wins when Christianity is extinct in the Middle East or any part of the world. And it's happening right before our eyes. Arabo's working with congressmen in the State Department to help find a way to get the remaining Christians safely out of Iraq and find new homes. Now, he had said something kind of provocative. He said nobody wins when Christians uh, are driven away, basically. Uh, Which will immediately, if you are of the left persuasion and don't like Christianity, will rub you the very wrong way because it has been a placard of the left that Christianity is harmful to people all around the world. And if ever we were going to get rid of a religion on earth, it isn't Islam, that's killing millions of people every year, is Christianity. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why that makes absolutely no sense and why this young man has said that Christianity in the world is absolutely necessary to preserve everybody's freedom. Sounds like modern-day heresy against the secular state. Well, here we go. It's heresy because... People have been indoctrinated to believe that Christianity is some kind of oppressive, oppressive religion. If you listen to Richard Dawkins, if you listen to Sam Harris, if you listen to the atheists out there that are pounding their fists on the table against Christianity, giving their 13-year-old uh, juvenile understanding of Christianity, that's what you get. However, I'm not 13. And I have an understanding of the Bible and of Christianity and of history to show that their 13-year-old understanding of Christianity is completely mistaken. And so is everybody else's who adopts that line of thinking. Here's what I mean. Christianity, particularly here in America, ooh, even worse, Christianity in America. America! Christianity in America has been a source of the freedoms that we have particularly our pro-life freedoms, our freedom to be alive and not murdered by the state or by roving bands of Islamic terrorists. 
in this country. Our founding doc, one of our founding documents, our Declaration of Independence, states that we are all endowed by our Creator with inalienable or unalien- I'm sorry, unalienable rights. That came from the pen of people who believed in God, who believed in the Bible, who were Christians. I accept that some of them were not properly Christians as defined by most atheists. Yes, some of them were deists. So freaking what? They signed their name to the document that says that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No other religion on earth has come up with that statement, declaring equality across the board of all humanity, regardless of belief system. Only these mean old white male Christians did. Now, if I were the sort of person that is described by Richard Dawkins and Samuel Harris and all these other angry, unfriendly atheists and naysayers of Christianity, if I were as mean as they say that they were, (laughs) why would they bother to include freedom for everybody? Why would they say that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator? Why wouldn't they say all white men, all white aging men, or all men solely of European descent? Why? Why didn't they say that? They could have been more specific, but they didn't. Oh, well, they they meant themselves. Oh, well, they meant themselves. You know, that's not what they wrote. They did write all men, and they specifically had different religions, different thinkings and mindsets in mind. Why? Because America, America was founded on the idea that people could leave their oppressive uh, situations where they were, religious oppression, and come to America, come to the new world, and worship God as they saw fit. And far be it for the earliest of Americans who came to this country and were consistent with their values to deny that to somebody else. They didn't. They didn't. Instead, they founded a country that said, if you want to believe whatever you want, you have the liberty to do so. And the state will not get in your way. That's where we derive that value today from. The example of our founding fathers that came before us in America. America. And these principles 
in America were derived from men who believed in Christianity, by and large. And the principle, the mindset that brought them to that point is the mindset of any Christian and at any, in any country in the world who is faithful to his or her own scriptures, the Bible. Now, I'm not stupid enough for, you to, for all of you to wait for me to say the Bible tells people that uh, they, you need to give religious liberty to everybody, and the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. No. The Bible tells us that we are all equal under the eyes of God. Duh. And what does that mean? Therefore, if we are to respect that each person is a creation of God, and that salvation and devotion to our Creator is a relationship between that person and the Creator. That means whenever God wills, that person will become a believer and become a Christian. We don't need to force the issue. Religious tolerance and religious freedom is an outworking of the Christian faith. When Christians are the most faithful to Jesus Christ, that's when other people experience tolerance and liberty. And that's why the man in the interview says nobody wins if if Christianity is wiped out. Because no other religion ensures in writing and in value that the human person is valuable enough to be respected in this way. Of course, if you want to dispute with me, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. And find us on our Facebook page, and you can send me a nasty gram if you care, disputing with it, although only nasty grams with logical arguments will be answered. You know who you are. Yep. Hey, why don't you name names? Let me know who they are so I can <laughs> name some names. You reveal yourself? Or, you, put your, you put yourself out there? Um, we'll answer. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yep, yep. So, Miss Letitia, I am going to comment on your commentary about okay. ISIS or whatever they call in them themselves these days I'm excuse me I really find it very ironic how these individuals in the name of Allah are so all powerful and almighty that they have to order um, not only did they order Christians to um either convert, pay a tax, or be murdered. But now, and I'm sure you is probably going to move on to this in a minute, they ordered the female genital mutilation of all all women and Mosul. Right. Um, now, that, okay, go ahead. 
that in and of itself, if that doesn't belie an organization or a group of men worthy of being wiped off this planet, I don't know what else can. I don't know what else does because they're so blinded in their hatred that they don't realize that if they kill or if they uh, mutilate all the women, when they get old and die off, who's going to replace them? What are they going to do, go around converting people at gunpoint? Because that will be the only thing they can do. They're using their kids as human shields. I know Hamas is doing that, but ISIS Mm -hmm. is too. It's sick. And, you know, if I was a biochemist and I I could invent a bioweapon that specifically targeted those kind of individuals, I would because their hatred and the, the cowardly acts that they direct towards people because they don't take their um, same viewpoint or their political ideology, that's not befitting of a human being. They're, they're beyond human. The acts they commit does go beyond human to the point of it's demonic, it's evil. And and I'm a, and I'm gonna call it what it is. It's pure evil. And folks are lucky that Israel is practicing restraint because by by the decrees of God, they have every right to defend themselves. Every right. So. Right. Um. Well, about the about the female mutilation, female genital mutilation. That's just a rumor. Um, I'm going to say that right now. We need a little more proof that that's what they want to do in Mosul. It's been a rumor. It could be true. I'm going to tell you, it could be true. Because that practice is not uncommon to that region of the world. It's not uncommon to other countries uh, in Africa. It's it's, it's practiced uh, more or less in, in different countries, depending on um, de- depending on how things are in, the, in that country, um, it's a rumor right now. I'm waiting for some confirmation to say that that's actually what they're they're wanting to do. But for the moment, it's a rumor. Um, and as, as for the practice itself, yes, it is extremely cruel. If you are listening and you don't know what gen- female genital mutilation is, um, you may want to wait before finding out. I had one uh, listener or one person on my Facebook today that said I had to look up what that was because I didn't know, and then now I wish I didn't. So it is a quite a brutal uh, surgical, and I'm using that word uh, very lightly, surgical procedure on women and girls. Um, on their reproductive parts, their outer reproductive parts, and it's quite painful. And uh, you may, you may not want to find out right now what that is. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so unless that's really happening, um, that we get confirmation, I'm not going to talk much further about that. But what pre- what precipitates? This idea of um, 
superiority of the Islamic religion over anybody else. And we're talking about Jews, and we're talking about Christians and uh, other religions, is that it's written into the religion of Islam. It says so right in the Quran that Muslims are the best of all creatures. The best. And Christians and Jews are counted with unbelievers. There are a class of unbelievers that they can deal with, especially other unbelievers. They can just outright kill without any any protocol whatsoever. But there is no um, there's no regard for the equality of human beings. If you are not a Muslim, you're automatically unequal in 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 a Muslim society in a Muslim context. Right. What what I'm objecting to here on our side of things in this world is that our government and our media is underreporting this or not reporting it at all. And why, you know, this is just one city. It's not just one city. Like I said earlier, this is a straw that broke the camel's back because this is what happened in South Sudan with Boko right. Haram, another Islamic terrorist group. It's happened in Syria with Islamic militants. It's happened in Egypt with Islamic militants where Coptic churches are being burned and Coptic Christians and Coptic priests are being murdered and Christians are being driven out of a place that, that has existed for the same amount of time, almost about 2,000 years. And people are, are fleeing Egypt in record numbers. It's happened in it happened way in the past in Turkey and nobody really wants to talk about Turkey. Oh no, 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 no. Not the one million Armenian Christians that were 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 killed. Right. Nobody wants to talk about that. Have I missed a country somewhere? Oh, Iran. There we go. Yes. The ongoing persecution of Christians in Iran is also not talked about. Christianity right now is the most persecuted religion in the world. Today, right now. And our media is not interested. Why aren't they interested? They're not interested because... It goes against the narrative that Christianity and Christians are always the aggressors, they're always the oppressors, and they're always and Christianity is an, is a religion that needs to be destroyed. That is their narrative. Right. Now far be it for Islam that's actually murdering people by the millions across the world. To be to be criticized because if you criticize Islam, you'll be con- declared an Islamophobe, and who wants to be one of those? That's that's worse than that's worse than death. You know, to be labeled an Islamophobe. The only thing worse than that is to be labeled a homophobe. I guess. Right. But why? I mean, is this? I hope it's obvious why this is a pro-life issue. Religious persecution is a pro-life issue, and Christians are being persecuted both by Islamic extremists. And by our very own media, through their ignorance, forced ignorance, their non-coverage of the story, 
and their general attitude that Christianity has had no good in the world whatsoever, especially in America. And that has to change. They're right. willing to stand by and see people murdered, beheaded, uh, beaten, raped, killed, driven out of their homes, churches burned, stolen from, etc. They're willing to stand by and watch that happen. But suddenly, right. uh, you know, we have to crow about how women need birth control in America. And we need it to not need birth control. We need it to be covered by our employer's insurance policies. Right. <laughs> are we are, are we not in America here with those that are complaining about this? The very picture of I don't even want to say first world problems. I the the picture in my mind is the caricature of the French royalty. Yeah. Uh, being, uh, right before they were all beheaded, <laughs> and somewhere, some along the way, our American media is going to have to be beheaded. I mean that symbolically, being overthrown in their prominence because they're absolutely doing people a disservice. Well, Leticia, you do realize that the very people that's going to behead them are the very people that they're supporting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Long term, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like it hasn't happened before. I mean, if you listen to his, if you realize in history, that's happened before. Exactly. It has. But you know what? What I, what I want to um, really look at, because I know, I know um, you're, you are an expert on Christian apologetics. But what I wanna what I want to really ask people and challenge people about and I'm talking specific believers because a lot of times there's a tendency on issues to be on as a believer we either come on both sides of the issue or come down on one side of the issue where it's either we're looking at things in an extreme hostile manner or we're looking at things from just straight from the apologetic manner. And the, and the truth of the matter is this, and this is how I reconcile them both. At the end of the day, the body of Christ, and I'm not talking the body of Christ, the aspect that's basically bowed to the lies of liberalism and basically became mainstream, embracing things that are contrary to God's word. I'm talking about those of us who still know and realize that evil is not more powerful than good. But the problem is we're um, we're falling into that uh, that quote where it says the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. And a lot of believers, especially on the issue of abortion, but that's just one one aspect. You know, you have you have 
mainstream denomination. The Catholic Church isn't even saying anything about the persecution of Christians in um, in Mosul. The Catholic Church isn't even saying anything about uh, about the per- the killing of the Christians in the Sudan. I don't know what it is, Letitia, but at some point, somewhere along the line, many believers, and I believe some of them were well-intentioned, have come to think that evil is more powerful than God because they're up in arms and they're so fearful and afraid. Um, I, know, well, I, I have no doubt that I have no doubt that there are some people who believe that they're they are more powerful than God. I mean, their concept of God is is a lot smaller than who God really is. Um, but you know, God is being patient with humanity, and I mean, I, I mean. Yep. I think, I mean, we could go off on off topic and, and talk about the theology that, that I take to what I pers- uh, see on the news. But I, I, I want to kind of talk about how that, that this is, this is, that our viewpoints do need to be discussed. And right. um, I want to move on and talk about how, and, go on from this issue that's happening, the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, and talk about another conflict that should show us it's also a pro-life issue that is getting a lot of coverage in the news that we really don't understand fully. And I've monitored people on both sides of the issue, and that is the Middle East conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. Oh, yeah. That is also a pro-life issue. It's very easy to see when we're talking about, you know, war with, with ISIS and, you know, the jihad and all that stuff. It, it, it's obvious it's a pro-life issue. The issue with the Middle East conflict between Israel and the Palestinians is also a pro-life issue. It's kind of more looked at as a land war issue, but it's not. Um, and... I want to play a clip from from Dennis Prager, who explains this issue really, really well. He talks about how we don't see the issue very clearly, and he kind of lays it out very easily for us to understand what it is, um, aside from the insults and aside from the politics that go along with it. Uh, let me find right. the clip, and I'll play that. It's the Middle East conflict explained. I think he does a great job. Uh, just take a few minutes. It's a little bit long, but you have to listen to the whole thing uh, in order to understand fully. When I did my graduate studies at the Middle East Institute at Columbia University's School of International Affairs, I took many courses on the question of the Middle East conflict. Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world, when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state, 
and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British rule ended on May 15, 1948, the armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border, and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the West Bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war, the Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula, an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil, back to Egypt, because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt, and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is, we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. 
In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager. And that is the question that everybody has to answer. Why should Israel exist? And to which I would reply, why shouldn't it exist? And I believe the answer to that, if you ask most Palestinians that are against the existence of Israel, if you ask Hamas, if you ask uh, the countries of Syria and Jordan and uh, what else is surrounding them, maybe Egypt as well, although Egypt has, their relations with Israel have stabilized a little bit. Even, even Iraq. Why, should is, why shouldn't Israel exist? And the answer is, because Islam must be superior. Islam is a conquering religion, and their existence, they exist to conquer. They exist for conquest. In land that is not under Muslim control must come under Muslim control. Period. There are no conditions on that. It must come under con- uh, land that must land must be under Muslim control, because that's the nature of Islam: to conquer and to control and to be superior. Right. So right. why shouldn't why shouldn't Israel exist? Because nothing should nothing no Israel should exist no no Christian state should exist. That's why Crusades were fought for control over the Middle East. And the Muslims actually ended up winning that war. And that is the very nature. And did they stop there? Of course not. They advanced into into over across northern Africa. That's why most of northern Africa is predominantly Muslim. They reached up into Europe and Spain. Reach uh, eastward into Pakistan and India and up north into Russia. It is a conquering religion and it will never stop trying to conquer. I don't hey, know if you about... Yes, Thomas. Leticia, uh, one thing about Islam is not a religion. No, we gotta we gotta let them gotta clarify that it's a political ideology that uses religious overtones to to cover the things that it does. But 
what Islam actually is, is a political worldview that encompasses religion to persecute people. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> you might be right about that. I think wor- you know, words really mean things. I haven't really defined well for myself what it is, uh, whether it's an ideology or a religion or a mixture of both. Um, but I, I th- thanks for bringing that up. I, I think there are distinctions that need to be made. Um, but I, I, like I was saying, I don't often talk about war in a pro-life context. Uh, because right. the word war, war is by itself extremely broad. We use that word in a co- many contexts of ways, a broad context of ways. And people who like right. to be careful not to overgeneralize, like me, we want proper distinctions. We talk about, I mean, war is used almost uh, in ways that it shouldn't be used. We talk about a war on women. The Democrats dreamed up and drummed up a war on women that was supposedly put on, uh, that the GOP was waging against women in the United States. War on women. I mean, have you heard of anything more ridiculous than that? And when you show them the real war on women, oh, suddenly all the crickets come out. And, you know, you can't find anybody to answer for the women that have died getting botched abortions. You know, that's the war on women. Female genital mutilation is a war on women. And you get absolute silence about that. I think it trivializes things that are really uh, affecting women life and limb when Democrats say things like there's a war on women put on by the GOP. Uh, that's, uh, anyway, I'm getting off topic, but that I just to, to say that we use that word a little bit too loosely. What I mean when I talk about war is that very, a, a very specific way. When people think, when one group of people thinks another group of people ought to be exterminated, for whatever reason, and then goes after that. So for those of you who are not on the side of Israel, who think Israel is trying to commit mass genocide against the Palestinians, I think that they're lo- you're looking at it from the perspective of what is actually happening. You're looking at the death that's taken place. You're t- looking at the, the body count. You're looking at the children that are being killed. You're looking at the women and the families and the civilians and the non-terrorists that are being killed, and you look at Israel and say they're just trying to kill people. Well, the same thing is happening from Hamas. Only Hamas does this with impunity. Hamas has no filter whatsoever. I know for a fact, for a fact, that Israel does not target civilians. The military doesn't have any time to target civilians when they're actually going after the guys with the bomb vests, the guys with the with the rocket launchers and the grenade launchers and the AK-47. They're really worried about those people, not the children that are being used as human shields. Now, when you're talking about what part of this is the pro-life issue, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take a side. And the side is when you look at what Hamas is doing to its own people, let alone what it's trying to do to the Jewish state. 
clearly Hamas is the anti-life, pro-death group operating in this war between Palestinians and the Israelis. Hamas using their right. own people, using children. We have video, I've seen video of children being told to stand next to rocket launchers being operated by Hamas terrorists. They're told if they move, they'll be shot. Right. They're shot. They'll be shot. They're told to stand there and while rockets are being launched. And then when Israel comes in with a missile to take out the terrorists, they end up taking out the children with the terrorists. There's nothing that can be done about that. And you can't turn around and blame Israel for killing children when they were put there by Hamas. Right. And people who are looking at that and blaming Israel are falling into that PR trap that Hamas wants. Oh, my gosh, Israel is killing children. No, Hamas is killing children. You were saying something? Yeah, that's that's what I was getting ready to point point out that the people falling for that are are the and and I'm just going I'm just going to I'm just going to say it and forgive that's me great. for saying this but they're idiots it's the idiots on the left it's it's some very ill-informed some conservatives actually falling for it as well and the truth of the matter is. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I pointed out a picture that was circulating on circulating on Facebook, and yeah, I remember that picture. Yeah, and I said, "Wow, this picture is horrible." Please understand that this these children were used as human shields. And I had I had two people, one 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 girl who showed her libertarian um, libertarian colors, just just totally blasted me. Um, I had another one of our mutual, well, formerly mutual pro life friends because I deleted him. He he um, blatantly started dropping an f bomb on my page because of what I put, and I and I said I said you know what you don't have to you don't have to um, listen or read what I post and then I deleted him because even when I'm intense on something in my commentary you know Letitia I don't go on others people's pages, posting, cussing them out, and I don't expect you to do that to me. But that's what happened twice because I was speaking the truth in defense of Israel and pointing out how Hamas is always quick to show these pictures of Mm -hmm. these people being killed. What what is, how come you don't see Israel? If Israel's so wrong, if they were to sell evil, mean, bad ones, how come they're not showing the pictures of what's being done to their soldiers? 
And that's the question that those idiots on the left, those idiots in the mainstream media who think because they set up with their million-dollar-a-year salaries for these big stations that they're untouchable. But at the end of the day, if, if the Muslim infiltration of this country happens, do you, you better ask yourself, to all you folks who are supporting Hamas with impunity, do you really think that they're going to give you a pat on the back or do they go, or do or are they going to cut your head off like they're going to try to do everybody else? That's my that's my viewpoint. Well, I think you're predicting things that are that have been done already, so it isn't a far fetched suggestion that there could be that kind of violence here if things right. if things move in that direction. It's not a far fetched uh, speculation. Uh, so what is the solution? You know, where is the pro-life aspect in this? The pro-life aspect, I mean, it's very clear. This is what Hamas has said. This is what their leaders have said, uh, that they do love death as much as the Jews love life, or that anybody loves life. They're, they're teaching their children, and they're teaching their citizens that to die in the attempt to kill others is is honorable and respectable and to be commended. That's what they're teaching their young people. Right. It is pro-death. There's nothing there. They'll admit it. It's pro-death. And if it is pro-death, it's definitely not pro-life. Right. And they're not seeking peace. They're not seeking peace. And anybody who buys the line that, oh, you know, Israel is acting out just as badly as Palestinians, I will say Israel's, Israel, there have been Israelis, uh, excuse me, there have been Israelis that have done wrong. There have been. That issue with uh, the, the teenager that they, they kidnapped right. in response to three Israelis that were kidnapped and, and killed. In retaliation, some Jews had kidnapped a Palestinian teenager. Actually, he was an American, which which makes it more tragic. Uh, and they went and they killed him. Was that right? No, it wasn't. This is a conflict that can't be solved with people taking uh, taking revenge into their own hands. But what's not pro-life about this is Hamas, Hamas's stance against Israel. Israel, I mean, just, just a few years ago, gave away the Gaza Strip. They've, they've shrunk their borders tremendously over the last few decades. Having, having won territory by war... <laughs> And their right to the right to expand their borders because that gives them greater protection. They've given away all their wartime advances. They've given them away. And how have they been repaid? They've been repaid by bombs through bombs, suicide bombers, rockets, right. and people, people jumping over the wall to split whole family throats during the night. 
That's how they have to escape. I don't hear of any story, and certainly the media would report about it immediately, of Israelis jumping over the wall into Gaza and splitting families' throats in the middle of the night, and then walking around back, back in the cities in Israel, handing out candy to each other about how great what what happened was. That doesn't happen. Right. The solution, the solution, it's easy for me to say, you might think, you know, because I'm sitting here in my comfortable, in front of my comfortable computer here in America. The solution is for Palestinians to realize how good life is under Israel. Uh, under Israel, most Palestinians are educated, cared for, and have successful businesses in the state of Israel, in the country of Israel. They'd like to, yep. like to say, to tell you that all the Palestinians live in Gaza and the West Bank and in the Sinai Peninsula and Jordan and Syria. No, they don't. They live in Israel. The, the Palestinians yeah. in Israel are not complaining. Why? Because life yeah. is pretty good. All right. But life is not pretty good if you live in the Gaza Strip now. <laughs> I wonder, oh, gee, whose fault is that? Israel gave away. This is what they gave away. You know what? Because people have very short memories. But I remember when when Israel was told to abandon the Gaza Strip, what did they abandon? They were building homes that they had lived in for 20 years. They were living in homes. They were living in neighborhoods. It was, the, the appearance was a lot like many American suburbs look like. Right. And they were expanding, and the world got angry at Israel for expanding their settlements. And Israel said, fine, we're going to pull out of the Gaza Strip. We're just going to pick up and leave. I, at that time, that very time, I, had a fr- I met a friend from Israel. He was a young man who came to America to live with his uncle for a little while. And I right. said, what... what what was that? I mean, what happened? How does that? Who's living in the Gaza Strip now? I mean, people just kind of up and left because they were told to clear out, so the Jews had to clear out. I mean, did they just take their stuff and walk out of their homes? And he's pretty much. So what? What's left with the properties now? I mean, you've got these homes and these buildings. They're just had to be abandoned. He's like, well, you know, they're they're. They're lived in now. I'm like, who's living in them? Oh, the Arabs. They're just saying. I mean, they just moved in, so the Jews moved out, and Palestinian families and people they just kind of moved in. They had a free house that was already built for them by Jews. I, I don't. I don't think that any Jews sold any of their properties to Palestinians. I don't think any of those Palestinians paid for the homes that they now live in, in the Gaza Strip, in the Gaza Strip. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's how it works in that area of the world. There's nothing that I can, you know, what am I supposed to think about that? 
But you think about what Israel has given up is far more than we ever thought would be reasonable for any group of people in any country to give up. And look at what happens to that area now. It's a source of rockets. It's a source of attack. It's a source of of squalor. Because a people controlled by terrorists has been consumed by hate of Israel, wanting to completely wipe it off the face of the earth. But that's all they live and even think about. The Palestinians right. in Israel, however, are not complaining. Now, I don't want to mischaracterize all Palestinians as Islamic terrorists. I don't. These children and the civilians, by and large, they just kind of want to live quietly. They, most, most people are peaceful people. They don't want to live in war. That's the job of Hamas. In fact, there's a large, large portion of the population that are Christians. And I feel bad, I feel very bad for them because they're caught. They're caught up in this war as Palestinians that are always mischaracterized as Hamas-loving Muslims. I don't know that 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 is the case. The one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was in 2006. It seems like a long time ago. I'm sorry, not 2006. 1996. That's how long ago it was. And that is um, at a Christian conference that I had attended in college called Urbana. The missions conference. And there was a moment where people were talking about their personal experiences and their life in Christ. And it uh, makes my voice quiver and my eyes tear up every time I talk about it. There was a Palestinian girl, a woman, and an Israel, Israel, Israeli girl, woman, sorry, who got up together and they were both Christians and they could both finally see each other as Christians and not members of their respective ethnicities and communities. And they embraced and they hugged each other as sisters in Jesus Christ. And that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So the solution that nobody wants to hear, which is completely and totally politically incorrect, is that we do need Jesus in the Middle East. This Israeli-Palestinian conflict is mostly a conflict of the heart with terrorists who want to push, and all, all those bordering countries conspiring to push Israel into the sea. That is their motto. I mean, that's written down in black and white. I'm not making that up. They want to push Israel into the sea. Why? They don't think Israel should exist. They think that the area should become an Islamic state. And the solution is for them not to become an Islamic state. The solution is for individuals to become Christians 
and to see past this. I would that every person would understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, is their Lord and Savior. That's the only way we're going to get terrorists to stop being terrorists. Even if we kill a million of them, there's another million left that they're they're going to be raised and bred to become terrorists. And the solution is Jesus Christ. I don't care if you think that is political too politically incorrect to say out loud. Today, I just don't care. <laughs> but the most beautiful thing will be when Palestinian Christians and Israeli Christians can share in their humanity under Christ together. And that is the pro-life solution to that. Oh, so we've taken quite a bit of time talking about this and what is how pro-life, how war is a pro-life issue. In principle, there is such a thing, though, as just war. There is such a thing as fighting evil and sacrificing one's life for it. And there is such a thing as those acting on behalf of advancing evil in this world who have to be neutralized because they're using their arms and legs and their mind to subjugate other people. And if it claims their life in the process, the worst would have happened is to allow them to live. That is the pro-life view about war. I'm sorry. That's I mean that some people will disagree with that. I'm okay with all that disagreement. I'm okay with talking about the intricacies of war and how we as Christians are supposed to look at that. I'm open to changing my mind after a good discussion. But that's how I see it right now that if one entity acts to eliminate another in death. I mean, either through their own death or by murder or whatever. That entity will have to be stopped. I mean, there you can't find me a person out there in the world that thinks that we should, that the United States or that Christians should not have gotten involved in World War II. Stop the Nazi Germans. Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave up his own life in prison to be to be killed, basically a martyr, because he was trying to save Jews and participated in a plot to kill to assassinate Hitler. And he did that with a clean conscience. I hope that if I were put in that situation, I would have as much courage as he did. There is such a thing. As just war. You have to have, most people who have lived in war have to come to that conclusion. I hope I never have to experience that. I hope none of us have to experience that. Sometimes we don't think clearly about these things unless we're put into those situations where we have to think clearly. I'm going to take a quick break and oh, air out my lungs. 
after this heavy topic and dive into something else that is just as heavy and just as important. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will do. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. All right. Was that a quick enough break? We have a lot more to get to and a lot more uh, audio to to get to. I want to get to this really fast because um, that was what we talked about was the geopolitical conflict that is war in the Middle East and persecution of Christians. And I hope everybody understands how much so that these are pro-life issues. Now we're going to come back and talk about how Planned Parenthood in this country is also waging a war. Yes, and I'm going to use it in that broad context because I've been given permission by Planned Parenthood and their little war on women to do so. A little known fact came up in the world today, and Abby Johnson from, uh, what is the name of her, and, and there were none. It's called And There Were None, Abby Johnson's organization for helping abortion clinic workers leave their jobs and find legitimate work elsewhere, uh, produced this video, and it's based on information that she had known about while she herself was an abortion clinic worker for Planned Parenthood. And basically she exposes the fact that Planned Parenthood has abortion quotas. What's an abortion quota, you may ask? An abortion quota is a minimum number of abortions that a, that a Planned Parenthood facility must do in order to gain a certain amount of profit in a given amount of time, either per week or per month. And this is the video that is making its rounds, and I can't play it enough. Please listen. For many years, Planned Parenthood and other abortion advocates have stated they want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. In fact, they said it so much, our president has even bought into it. Abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. But is that what they really want? Let's take a look. According to Planned Parenthood's own annual report, they performed 334,000 abortions in one year. That really doesn't seem rare. But certainly Planned Parenthood isn't in the business of selling abortions, right? Think again. This is a copy of Planned Parenthood's facility budget, released by former Planned Parenthood abortion clinic director, Abby Johnson. Let's look at the line that says, Income Self-Pay Surgical. You will see the number 1135. You know what that is? It's their abortion quota. The amount of abortions Abby's former clinic had to sell in order to meet their budget. The number next to it, $313.29, is the net amount of money the clinic needed to make off of each abortion performed. $313.29. 
That's how much a human life is worth to Planned Parenthood. So why have an abortion quota? Because as Abby Johnson's former supervisor said, abortion is how we make our money at Planned Parenthood. Let's look at some other numbers. Did you know 92% of pregnant women who seek services from Planned Parenthood will have an abortion? That may seem high, but when you have a quota to meet, you become a very good salesperson. In 2009, Planned Parenthood made an announcement at their annual meeting. They said they were phasing out their prenatal services, citing that pregnant patients were too cumbersome. If a pregnant woman comes into Planned Parenthood, how can they serve her? No adoption services, no prenatal care, only abortion. Now let's go back to the budget and see what Planned Parenthood's quota is for adoption referrals and prenatal care. Hmm, that's strange. Can't find those quotas anywhere because there are no quotas for women who want to keep their babies, only quotas for those who want to kill them. Come on, Planned Parenthood. You're not interested in keeping abortion safe, legal, and rare. You're not interested in protecting women. In fact, you're not even interested in women's health care. You're only interested in profit. Society deserves better than Planned Parenthood. Don't be a line item on their budget. Women and their children are worth far more than $313.29. Their lives are priceless. If you work in an abortion clinic, we can help you get out. For more information, visit abortionworker.com. And that video that has been making its rounds on social media and YouTube and uh, in a lot of other places has reached Congress. Thankfully, praise God, it has reached Congress. Congress, and now more congressmen want more information about Planned Parenthood. And the last thing that Planned Parenthood wants is congressmen and investigators poking their nose into Planned Parenthood's business. They want Congress to give them money, but they don't want Congress to give them attention. And according to the Daily Caller, more congressmen are demanding answers to what this video has exposed. Earlier this week, um, Texas Representative Louis Gohmert had said, it is utterly appalling that Planned Parenthood would have, an annual abor- would have annual abortion quotas just to meet their financial goals. The vast amount of money Planned Parenthood receives, I should say already, receives from the U.S. taxpayers, it is critical that we determine whether or not any staff members were told that their salaries were contingent on their pushing a certain number of young women to abort their babies. The idea of salaries being contingent on the number of babies destroyed is unmitigatingly evil. And not surprisingly, Planned Parenthood has repeatedly refused to return calls for comment. Wow, shocker. We have known for quite some time that Planned Parenthood makes its money off of abortions. They claim 
that abortions is only 3% of what they do. We've talked about this in the past, that it's an accounting trick to make it 3% of what they do. It's an utter and complete fabrication. How does 3% of what they do net their profits 97% of what they make annually? And I have to make sure people understand this. Planned Parenthood receives subsidy after subsidy after subsidy after federal grant after private donation after all of this stuff. They make hands over fists millions of dollars per year. Millions. They get like $537 million, I think, annually as an institution from from subsidies. Why, then, does their profit margin say 97% of the money they make comes from abortion. Because if you take out the money they received through subsidies, that, that money actually um, pays for the birth control and the health, the so-called health visits that women come to Planned Parenthood to receive. So actually none of the services that they provide that are not abortion-related are really paid for by them. It's taxpayer funded. It's also funded by people like Warren Buffett, who give who gives millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood and abortion facilities and you know all the abortion industry gives a huge sum of money to abortion clinics. Pays for their operations that aren't abortions so their net cost there is zero since their donations and subsidies they don't count that as income or profit they don't count that as profit let's say they don't count that as profit so where does their money that they actually make that they generate themselves come from Where does that money come from? It comes from abortions. It has to. They don't do anything else that isn't paid for by somebody else. And that's how 3%, so-called 3%, of what they do makes up 97% of the money they actually generate. It's not 3%, by the way, because... Abortion is, by and large, what they do to net money, and they count abortion as one procedure where they count every Band-Aid they hand out, if they hand out Band-Aids, to women, every handshake, every tissue, every, every check mark on a sheet of paper as an item of service that they give. So that's how they get the 3% of abortion. Abortion is equated to handing somebody a thermometer and taking their temperature. Well, gee, that's how it's done? Yes, that's how it's done. 
don't be fooled but by the accounting tricks of Planned Parenthood. That's how they make their money. And their abortion quotas. On top of the fact that last week there also was revealed by Abby Johnson that the clinic that got more abortions than the year before receives an award from Planned Parenthood for doing more abortions, it all falls in place. Do you not understand that abortion is their business? It is their main business. And what clinic doesn't want to do more of it? More business, more money. More business, more money. It's like asking whether or not I I'm on my radio show, smoking. go. Of course they would say yes. Of course they would. There is a direct conflict of interest when they say they're not interested, they're, they're, abortion is only a small percentage of what they do. It's a lie. That's what they exist for. That's how they make their money. Again, they are also in hot water for the non-reporting of rape victims. Earlier this week, uh, the Planned Parenthood in Tempe, Arizona, which is very close to my home, in Phoenix, my hometown home, was cited for allowing a known case of rape and a, and um, an, a known a girl that was that was I think she was about 12 years old, who was obviously pregnant, got an abortion, obviously sexually abused, and Planned Parenthood did absolutely nothing. That's not the first time, either. Abortion on rape victims, underage rape victims, is pretty common for Planned Parenthood. And they're required by law to report these instances, but they don't. And the excuse they told the woman, or the girl, was it's too much of a hassle. It's too much of a hassle? You're being abused and raped and forced to have an abortion, and it's too much of a hassle to report your attacker. You want to talk to me about a war on women? Here it is. And it's being waged by Planned Parenthood on victims that should be receiving justice instead of receiving an abortion. Third indictment that I have today. We learned that an ice cream company in Seattle, Washington, I'm sorry, in Portland, sorry, Portland, Oregon, has uh, last year and this year held a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. They created a special flavor of ice cream. (coughs) Sorry, I, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth there. And almost choked to death on my own vomit. They created a flavor and donated 10% of the proceeds of selling that flavor as a fundraiser uh, for Planned Parenthood in their local area. Well, this year, pro-life advocates such as myself got wind of this. 
and decided to make a big deal out of it by writing to the company, by posting on social media. This is what is happening. The ice cream company, the ice cream shop hasn't backed down, sadly. But think about what they have done. Normally we have fundraisers to raise money for something good. Like sending Boy Scouts off to a camping trip so that they can learn about how to take care of themselves if they were ever caught in a, in a tornado or something. Or we're fundraising for kids with cancer. Or we're fundraising for uh, disadvantaged kids to go to camps. Or we're funding to raise money for underprivileged kids in school. Or we're funding for something that helps somebody, not help somebody die but this is what uh, what's the scoop in Portland Oregon has done and as far as we know uh, they are going to hold it in the future as well so you know the pressure needs to be put on this ice cream store to realize now I realize that there okay I realize there are a lot of people that have written a lot of uh, inflammatory things on their website and in social media and on reviews uh, that are unnecessary. Here's what people ought to be saying. You don't need to say what an evil company that what's the scoop is. You don't need to say uh, snarky things that are that are not to the point. Here's the point that I want people to understand about what's the scoop. They are raising money for the destruction, they're raising money selling ice cream so that people eat ice cream and, and paying them and raising money for Planned Parenthood to kill children who will never get to taste ice cream to be made in the public and to this store, to this ice cream shop, and to Planned Parenthood. It's selling a product that is supposed to be delicious that to to take the life to claim the life of somebody that who then will never be able to taste it i'm sorry i don't care how good the ice cream is it can never be good enough to cover the multiple sins of planned parenthood committing genocide committing and aiding and abetting rape and killing unborn children. There will never be enough sugar in the world, never enough, enough, enough sugar and cream in the world to cover the taste of murder. And the fact that those children that are killed will never taste ice cream in their lives. Never. They'll, they'll be dead. They're dead. And that's the point. I hope everybody understands about what's going on at What's the Scoop. And so the last thing, um, I'm going to go back and dip up into our topics earlier in the show and talk a little bit about what's happening in the world since this Middle East conflict with Israel and the Palestinians is flaring up yet again. Um... And what's appalling to me is what I've seen is in, in a number of countries and in the U.S. 
large-scale marches and demonstrations that are anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish, anti-Israel in nature. People who are not Muslim, people who are not Palestinian, people who are in European countries are once again saying death to the Jews, death to Israel, and in some countries, death to the USA, death to America. And it's disturbing because this is not about a political or a land conflict anymore. This is about killing off an entire country because of the Jews in that country. It's completely anti-Jewish. And it bothers me because we're going backwards in time. This is regressing backwards in time to a point after which we said never again. Never again. Yet here we are, never again, is itself being lost. And we are going back to doing something again. We are, in, as a society and as a world and as a, as a movement in many places, going backwards to a sentiment that says some people need to die to get out of the way. Innocent people need to die to get out of the way of the advancement of some other country, whether you think it is just or unjust. It is for the advancement of another group of people. Somebody needs to die so that other people can get to do what they want. It's the same sentiment underscoring abortion. War. Anti-Semitism and anti-life and pro-abortion is the same mentality. I hope people realize that. Amanda Marcotte herself, Miss Pro-Abortion to the Hilt, even expressed that. She doesn't realize what she's saying has been the ramifications, but that's what, it sh- that's what it means. She had said, if my birth control fails, I am totally having an abortion. Given the choice between living my life how I please and the fate of a, she says, lentil-sized brainless embryo that has half a chance of dying on its own anyway, I choose me. Um she doesn't realize that her sentiment is shared by most Islamic jihadists. Only they just shift the age group up a little and the location out of the womb, by and large. They have no problem killing uh, you know, a pregnant Jewish woman. So. I hope at some point in time, I pray at some point in time, Amanda Marcotte realizes what she's really saying and how she's really Uh, coming across, being completely like an abortion jihadi. But maybe she'll run into the arms of uh, the governor of New York, who himself, this uh, past week, has declared the establishment of the abortion party of New York. Oh, yes. 
Governor Cuomo, uh, decided to take women's rights a step further and establish an abortion party where all abortion-minded women will gather in one place to complain about how they need more access to abortion, even though while saying that they'd like it legal, safe, and rare. I mean, go figure what that logic is all about. I can't, but maybe somebody can figure it out. So there's your news about that. Um, I'm going to end with a couple of stupidest things ever today because I couldn't decide which one was more stupid or which one was stupider. And since we haven't done it in a while, let's go back and do a couple of these just for fun. And let me cue the music. You're going to love this because it really is. I only bring you the best, stupidest things ever, right? Yeah. Where's my music? (laughs) I'm, I'm thinking, this is what I need Thomas for. I need Thomas to cue the music for me. And I can't find it. Hey, this is not first class. We have a system that enriches the few at the expense of the many. Capitalism is an evil. And you cannot regulate evil. I, I need you to admit the bleeding obvious. I need you to sit here and say, I'm in the 1%. Because it's important well, I can't, because for the I'm validity not. of your argument. You are there. No, I'm not. I'm not. You're I, not in the 1%? I'm, of course I'm not. How can I be in the 1%? Because you're worth millions. <laughs> no, that's not true. That, listen, I do really well. I do well. But, but, but what's, the, what's the point, though? Isn't I that that's because I find it more interesting... If you're in the one percent, because I think yeah. you probably are, yeah. you qualify right. that you are railing against a lot of capitalist ideals. Well, then, if you believe that about me, uh, then that's really something, isn't no, it? If you that even that. that even though that even though I do well, that I don't associate myself with those who do well. I am devoting my life to those who who have less and who've been who've been crapped upon by the system. And that's how I spend my time, my energy, my money on, on trying to upend this system that I think is a system of violence. It's a system that's unfair to the average working person in this country. He's against capitalism unless he's the capitalist. You know, when he said he wasn't uh, part of the 1%, Dana Prino pointed out that he's not lying. He's not part of the 1%. He's part of the 0.001% at 50 million. You know, he is really good at uh, making documentaries about corruption and hypocrisy and fraud. Why doesn't he do a documentary on himself? Good question. I am so glad somebody asked. And Michael Moore, uh, I played that historical, famous historical clip of him saying that he's not part of the 1%. He's not a capitalist, even though every penny that he's made has been from capitalism as the stupidest thing ever because it was just revealed this week that he's getting his divorce settlement that he owns nine houses in America and is his estate is worth $50 million. Mr. Anti-Capitalist 
has made all his money on capitalism, and he considers himself not a capitalist because he doesn't feel like one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the stupidest thing ever, but we're not done yet. We're not done yet because I have something even or just as stupid as that. I'll let you decide which one is worse, but they're both stupid in their own right. That supplement also has funds to repatriate the children in a safe way back into their countries. I, I always reference the Bishop, National Catholic Con- uh, Bishop Conference of Bishops statement in which they said, Baby Jesus was a refugee from violence. Let us not turn away from these children and send them back into a burning building. That's the bishops. And that's, so we have to do this in a way that honors our values, but also protects our border and, and uh, does so in a way that the American people understand more clearly. Ah, Nancy Pelosi. This is my theme music for Miss Nancy Pelosi. Thank you, Nancy, for showing us pulling the Jesus out. Of course, who could, who in the world can oppose when you pull the Jesus out? You pull in a Jesus and equating them to the poor refugee children that, uh, who was it, that Roger Simon accused Rick Perry of wanting to shoot at the border. And she wants to grant a certain amount of asylum and care for, for illegal children crossing the border. Listen. We should care for their needs, certainly, but as individual citizens. What Nancy Pelosi was asking for is for federal money in the, to the tune of $3.7 billion to take care of our illegal immigrants, quote-unquote, problem. And she does see it as a problem, but it's a problem not for her. It's a problem she can foist onto states as a big old socialist would, to bring down our welfare system. She wants to use them, as we've talked about before, as pawns in the scheme. It's not for the benefit of the children, and I certainly take offense at her referencing baby Jesus as a refugee. You know what happened to baby Jesus, the refugee? He was chased out of his homeland by a murderous king and forced to flee to Egypt. Now, when Jesus got to Egypt, his parents set up a life for him there until it was safe to go back home. These children are coming to America alone, and they're coming to America to be used by Democrats. That is not how baby Jesus ought to be but be considered, or be used. They are not be used, baby Jesus, to meet your political ends. And furthermore, the council of bishops that she's referring to, referring to the refugee baby Jesus, in the context of abortion. Thank you very much. I think I've said enough about that. So ladies and gentlemen, that is the stupidest thing ever. You can Vote for yourself, which is more stupid. 
But it was so bad, I thought I'd play them both for you. Thomas, did you have a preference? Uh, I gotta go with Nancy Pelosi because she's an <laughs> idiot. Well, thank you, Nancy, for providing us another moment of entertainment. Yep. Well, come, well, folks, we are rapidly coming to the end of our program today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please check us out on Facebook at True Life Fridays Radio. Find us there. Uh, like our page. We also have a truelifefridaysradio.com website, a blog that you can visit. And remember to spell it correctly, although we've got you covered. It's truelifefridaysradio.com. And uh, look for more of our postings. Look for more of our social media. Follow us on Twitter at TLFR Radio. We'll see you next week. Hey, Thomas, we'll see you next week on the show. Alrighty, ma'am. I'll talk to you later. Have a good night. You too. Put your hands up, open wide. Put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter, like race don't matter, like place don't matter, like what's inside. Let the kick drum kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yes, where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin. Beneath these hopes and where we've been. Every fight comes from the fight. Bye-bye.